Hello, I'm Alex, and this is the Northern Guide to Happiness. Welcome to episode 19. As always, I'm here in our virtual studio with the podcast team, Chris and Kath. How are we? Hello. Very well, thank you. Fine, yes. How are you, Kath? How are you doing? Well, I had a rather nice little foray into a shop today. Ooh. Get you. (laughs) (laughs) I've been I've been waiting for this shop to open. It's just round the corner from me, and it's it's one of those places where you you everything is unpackaged, so you ah. buy what you need. Okay, and yeah, yeah. I think this is a wonderful idea. I've I've I'm so happy that there's a shop like this. <laughs> so I, I went in this afternoon and discovered that they also sell. Um, I suppose a ready meal, really, a selection, four or five things. So I have come home with a vegetarian lasagna, which looks absolutely stunning in its its recyclable packaging. Mm. So I'm well impressed and think this is a great great thing to add to our village uh, high street. And I'll tell you you what it's like when I've had it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think I might have to review your opinion of it. <laughs> I think I drove past it on the way uh, way back from yours uh, the other day, yes. Kath. Actually, yes, it did look very intriguing. Mm. Well worth a visit. Mm. Chocolate. Mm. You know what? I'd I, I would really like to see on 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 high streets because I think it, it something on the BBC News website a couple of weeks ago. But repair shops, you know, there's places you can go to take stuff to get it fixed. You know, whether it's kind of clothing or hardware stuff, and you know, it's like a hub for kind of local um you know people that are good with stuff you know can fix sort of things. make do and mend yeah yeah absolutely so you know you just kind of take it down to the the shop on the high street and sort of leave it there for a couple of days and and then somebody fixes your, your headphones or um or your guitar or your nice cardigan or something um i don't know i just kind of think that'd be that'd be a nice a nice thing to have well on that note shall we introduce this week's guest interview It was great to chat to retired Commonwealth and Olympic athlete Craig Heap this week. He had some really interesting views on happiness and how gymnastics has been such a huge part of his life since he was a young boy. What struck me most about this interview was Craig's positivity, even in the face of adversity, his motivation for helping others and his enthusiasm for sport and its positive impact on well-being really comes through in the discussion. And I should probably add, due to the recording environment, which is discussed in the interview, the sound quality on this interview isn't the best, but the quality of the discussion absolutely is. So enough of me talking. Here's Craig. Craig, a very warm welcome to the Northern Guide to Happiness. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? Uh, I'm fantastic, actually. I've had a great night's sleep. The kids have gone to nursery uh, and I've been in work bright and breezy, head of schedule. Always good after a bank holiday. <laughs> this, this is our Monday, isn't it? So we're uh, just trying to ease ourselves back into the week. Well, I work bank holidays anyhow, and especially when you've got two kids under four, every day is a work day. Uh, but because I love work so much anyhow, uh, the centre was open because I think it's important that we provide activity throughout the year as many days as possible. So actually, I was in work all day yesterday. Uh, but for me, it wasn't a chore at all. I thoroughly love being at work. I love chatting to the new parents, the older parents, uh, and just trying to make their day as it is. Before we get into talking about the Activity Centre, perhaps you could just introduce yourself, Craig, and just just tell people a little bit about yourself and who you are. Uh, Yes, so my name's Craig Heap. I'm a former Olympic gymnast. I did gymnastics for 20 years. Uh, I grew up on my parents' dairy farm in Lancashire, got involved in gymnastics through my sister. I never really had any ambitions uh, of representing my country uh, any sport really. I, my dream as a kid was to become a farmer. Uh, ended up doing gymnastics, just got more and more involved in it. I found the more I did, the more I enjoyed it. I wasn't naturally talented, as people would say, but for me, uh, it was about always pushing myself to be the best that I could be at whatever it is I did. 
Uh, I became British champion as a junior, uh, became a senior British champion, captain England to their first men's team gold medal at the Commonwealth Games in 98, became an Olympian in 2000, 2002 captained England to their second team gold medal at the Games in Manchester. Then I retired from gymnastics, moved to the northeast, started coaching, then got involved in mentoring uh, for the Youth Sport Trust for about 10 years. Uh, and then when I had a family, I decided I didn't want to be travelling the country as much. Uh, I needed something a bit more, you know, home-based. And I set up Tumble Gymnastics and Activity Centre. Yeah, never looked back, really. So at what point did you sort of realise that, that gymnastics for you was more than just a casual sport, something for fun. When was it that you kind of realised, actually, I'm quite good at this? Probably when I left school, uh, I started working more on my parents' farm and training with my first ever gymnastic coach throughout the day, a couple of times a week. Uh, when I was about 19, uh, I had to move gyms because lots of the purpose-built facilities now have the foam pits and we were working out of a leisure centre in Burnley. The nearest one was in Manchester. So I used to work on the farm in the morning. Me and my coach, we'd meet up at lunchtime, drive to Manchester, train for six hours, then drive back. And we sort of did that six, seven days a week until I was about 21. And then I realised something had to give. I was doing 16 and a half hour days wow. and it was just relentless. Yeah. And I was turning up for training, having literally done a full day's graft. Uh, and so to then train for sport, it, it was tough. And I realised if I ever wanted to be successful at gymnastics or farming, I, I had to make that commitment. Uh, so when I was 21, I made the commitment and support for my family to go and train full time with the national team. Uh, and it was the best thing I ever did for my gymnastic career. So what did you enjoy most about being a gymnast? You know, this this podcast is all about happiness. What did you enjoy about being a gymnast? And what was the best part of competing for you? Uh, well, for me, I think the best part about being a gymnast is the fact that uh, you can learn different skills and elements around the different piece of apparatus. Uh, I did lots of other sports as a kid. I was well into my basketball, but I realised at five foot six, a career in basketball was quite, <laughs> you know, was quite limited. Uh, but also, I think gymnastics give me that edge on a basketball court. I was very agile, and I, and I loved being part of the team. But what I really loved about gymnastics is the fact that there are six pieces of apparatus. They're both individually testing and challenging, and these skills that you can learn around this different piece of apparatus there's something called a cord of points and that's every skill that's ever been performed is in this cord of points and it's for you as a gymnast to learn these skills and put them in a routine and even after 20 years of doing gymnastics I still couldn't do all the skills in the cord of points and that's mm. what I really loved about it it's a real personal challenge you and the apparatus and as much as you can push yourself to learn these skills and yes you know you, you try lots of these skills and there's a certain point where you go right that's enough time on that I'm never going to get it and you learn something else you go back to the book you know and as a kid I remember watching uh, people compete at world championships and Olympic games and I watched them on video I recorded them uh, and I play them back and I'd write a list of all these skills and go, I'm going to try this. And I'd go to the gym and nearly kill myself and go, right, that, <laughs> you know. But luckily I had a long list and something I'd take two. And the harder the skill, the longer it would take. But then the bigger the reward. So that's what I absolutely loved about it. And I love the fact that when I could concentrate fully, I, I had more energy to commit to that. Uh so for me, moving away from home and being fully committed was definitely the biggest changing factor in my career, without a doubt. And, I, and I've, I've sort of transferred that to everything I've done since gymnastics. It is about commitment. Whatever you're going to do, and whether we were talking about making a lifestyle choice to ourselves, living a bit healthier, uh, eating healthier, whatever it is, you need that commitment. And I think sport and certainly gymnastics has instilled that in me. Does it make you happy? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I, I, I love doing gymnastics. Uh, I think there's, there's lots of things about sport and gymnastics is certainly about performing. And 
I know my coach, as you said to me, a statement was, there's no point winning the warm-up, which basically means <laughs> you get the warm-up before you go in and compete. And I've seen so many gymnasts that were fantastic in the warm-up, but when they went out and you present to the judges, they couldn't handle that pressure. Well, for me, I saw the competition as an opportunity to show what all my training was about, and I loved it. You know, I would wave to the crowd. I had a following of fans. You know, I, I would mess about a bit in warm-up. Uh, but that was my way of dealing with the pressure. And I'd go in, and as soon as I left my right arm to present, that was it. You know, I was totally focused. And it was about doing that job. And I love that performance bit. So if it was just a case of training gymnastics and not showing anybody... I doubt I would have probably gone on for as long as what I did. Mm. But for me, the the training was just part of that process. And I realised lots of people didn't like the training, you know, because sometimes it can be a bit monotonous. You're practising your routines day in, day out. But it's only like people that study, you know. Your studying is for one big event, and that would be the examination and you've got to be able to perform under that pressure to, to put all that knowledge on the exam paper. It's yeah. just the same as performing all those skills and repetitions and routines to put them out there on the Olympic podium. I, I believe there's, it's, there's so much synergy between high-level competition and the other aspects in people's lives uh, that, for me, sport has really helped me with the other aspects of my life, dealing with pressure, whether it's commentating at big events I remember the first event I commentated on I was so nervous you know <laughs> I, and we have all this self-doubt don't we about am I going to yeah. be good enough you yeah. know and what I realised was later on I was commentating not because I've been trained as a journalist but for the 20 years that I've done gymnastics and that's what I need to tell myself you know, you're here because of this. In 2014, I was a judge on a TV programme. It was on BBC One on a Saturday night. And the same thing again. I, I thought I was brilliant at home, sat on the sofa, slagging people off because we're all good at that. But actually, when they put you there live in a studio, it's a complete different kettle of fish. And I remember being sat next to Nadia Comaneci, who's one of the greatest, not just gymnasts, but iconic sports people of all time. And... And I'm thinking, what am I doing here? And I'd have the same conversation with myself and go, you're here, Craig, because you've done gymnastics for 20 years and you know what you're on about. And actually, I got on really well with Nadia and she would ask me questions. And I'm thinking, I must know something. You know, and I, and I think we all have doubts throughout our life, regardless of whatever it is. But we've to, we've to almost have a word with ourselves and say, look... I'm here because I've got this skill set. Or if we've not got the skill set, I'm at least doing my best. Imposter syndrome is real, isn't it? I think it is. uh, I, I can I can relate to that completely. Thank you, Craig. That that's great. So you've mentioned there a few, you know, different opportunities that you've been involved in, you know, on, on the BBC commentating. Did you ever think as a, as a kid, <laughs> you know, however many years later that you'd be doing that sort of thing? Absolutely not. And I mean, I do quite a bit of work in schools now and I talk to, talk to young people because school was pretty tough. Uh, I went to an old boys school and you can imagine this was in the 80s and I was the only boy in the old, whole school doing gymnastics. You know, so there was comments about my sexuality and all the stuff that goes around, you know, being different. And as a kid, I really hated being different. Mm. But... What I realise now is, and I say to the young people I work with, you know, if you sat there and you think you're different to other people, that's something we should embrace because being different has made me really successful, you Mm -hmm. know. And if I could go back to myself in school and go, you know what, do not worry, everything's going to be okay. I never imagined that I'd leave school and represent my country. I'd go to the Olympic Games. I'd travel the world. I'd work to the BBC. I'd set up my own business and employ 30 people. And more importantly, the thing I'm most proudest of with my mentoring and my centre is I feel like I make a difference. 
I can honestly get up in the morning and think, today I'm going to change lives. That's the biggest reward that I have in life. Mm-hmm. And I never thought to myself, you know, back then, if somebody said to me as a nine-year-old kid in school, you know, by being dragged along to the leisure centre to watch your sister do gymnastics will change your life, I would have said, no chance, you know. <laughs> and I think I have a big discussion with one of my directors at the centre who's come from a world of banking, which he's done since he's, he left school, he's 52. He jacked it all in to come and work here in the centre uh, because of the values that I and we have created. And he can see firsthand about life's not always about money yeah. and, and your happiness. And I guess, you know, you, you talk about Maslow's theory and the the needs that we have. I get that. You, you, you need food and water and shelter before you can start thinking about other people and changing lives. I get that. But once you've worked out where your limit is and how much money you need to survive, and I think this happens to older people, you realise what's really important to you. And certainly when you have kids and you become a parent, the, the kids don't care whether you've won medals or you've been to an Olympic Games or you drive a fancy car. They want you because of who you are, you know. And one of the things that I missed when I was away for a couple of weeks at the Olympics, I FaceTimed my kids a few times, but they were getting really upset, so we stopped doing it. And to be honest, I was really upset. And then mm. when I watched the montage from the Olympics and Max Whitlock and Helen Glover and all these were going to the airport and the kids were running over going, Daddy, 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 oh, Mummy, Mummy. You know, you get that whether you've got an Olympic medal or not. And that's mm. something we all take for granted a little bit, don't we? Or we, we do we ever stop and go, I've got so much? Mm. And I think lots of us are guilty of that because we're in a society of maybe wanting more, you know, and there's a saying, isn't there? Maybe not want more, but be more. Mm. And I think that's really appropriate. And it's almost like we get up in in a morning and and think about what am I grateful for today? Uh, and I met somebody, and who said he, he nearly died, and is and he said every morning I I say to myself three things I'm grateful for, and I and I thought yeah that's that's really powerful, and I, and I think for me having my family around me and my children has completely changed my outlook on life. You know, I'm I'm definitely not interested about having the fanciest car and the biggest house. I'm more interested in creating memories with my family. And so my kids, I've got time for my kids. And then making time for other people's kids at the same time, which we can luckily do within the centre. You're not the first person that we've talked to, actually, that, that, that sort of talks about that money isn't money isn't happiness wealth isn't you know money it's it's how much happiness and well-being that you've got in your life so that's that's interesting you've you've kind of recognized that as well yeah thank you you've mentioned the olympics what have you thought about this year's tokyo games have you enjoy, did you enjoy it? What was your experience? Well, I was due to go to Tokyo, but in the end, I ended up in a wooden box in Salford. <laughs> uh, and it was man-made, but the BBC made the decision, you know, protect the, the people and the broadcast. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. it was fantastic, that side of things. I think not just the country, but I think the world needed the Olympics and Paralympic Games, without a doubt, because... We've been in such a lockdown for such seems such a long time, and I think people have suffered uh, physically and emotionally more than ever. But it's also shown a real resilience of yeah. what how we can survive, and maybe I think it's give people maybe this opportunity to have a reset about their lives. Going, do I actually need to spend all these hours travelling to work? Could I work from home? 
could I work less? So I think from that side, it's been great. From a sporting point of view, it's been phenomenal. Uh, I was I was really happy actually to be in Manchester rather than go to Tokyo and be locked down in Tokyo and just travel. We had a, a little bit of freedom around Manchester, we, but even though we wore masks and we were really careful, we could go out to restaurants and eat. Uh, Two and a half weeks away from the kids was fantastic as well. <laughs> even though, you know, I will say to people, yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. Even though I did miss them, I couldn't wait to get home. We saw some fantastic sporting moments. Uh, the times change issue was a bit of an issue. So some nights we had to get up at midnight oh to be in the gosh. studio for one o'clock, two o'clock. Wow. So we had qualifications. Uh, then the gymnastics went to about a normal time. Uh, up at five then when I covered trampolining uh, that was a 4am in the studio then we went back to about a six and then rhythmic gymnastics uh, was three uh, but to be honest it, I always said to the other people it could be worse I mean the boxing crew they're up at midnight every night for the full two and a half weeks uh, and what I love about the Olympics and actually you meet a lot of the commentators who were ex-athletes. So you, you got to spend time with Richie Woodall, uh, the boxing guy, you know, and I, I always like to, I have a change of opinion because we often stereotype certain sports, you know, whether it's, and I'm quite guilty of this, boxers, you know, we expect them to be thuggish and the way they portray themselves, you, you know, and it's all about, I'm going to knock your head off and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> and you think, surely not like that. And Richie Woodall, uh, who was an ex-boxer, you couldn't wish to meet a nicer guy. I've sat around talking to Steve Backley. I remember as as a kid growing up and what Steve Backley throw the yeah, javelin. And yeah. Steve Cram, uh, Colin Jackson, uh, the diving team, uh, just the badminton stars, uh, Denise Lewis from athletics. And Denise Lewis was actually at the same Olympics as me. And I remember she was... We didn't win many medals in Sydney, so she was the Olympic champion back then. And I remember meeting her back then, and she came to the gymnastics house and met all the gymnasts. Uh, and I've met her a couple of times since. Just sit around and having chats with people, and we, we talk about... We sound really old, because it's like, back in my day, it used to be this. <laughs> you know, and pre-lottery funding, and how we would love to do it now with all the support that the athletes have. Uh, but yet again, not be too hung up on the fact that we didn't have that support, but we did the best we could. Mm. Uh, and I think it goes to that well-being bit as well. You know, if I watched Max Whitlock. Uh, I never won an Olympic medal. I got a personal best in the Olympics. In Sydney, I was 32nd. Uh, and for me, that's my greatest achievement. I've been 14 times British champion, made history at the Commonwealth Games, and I would swap all of those medals for my commemorative medal at the Olympics because I did my best. Yeah. And it was the most amazing experience, being 32nd. Uh, and you talk about imposter syndrome. I, I know a friend who was a swimmer who came six in the Olympics and he was absolutely devastated. Mm -hmm. And he put his stuff in the loft and didn't really want to talk about it, started self-harming, and he, he had a really tough time. Mm. You, you watch the boxer uh, who got a silver medal. Yes. And, uh, you know, to be honest, he'll probably look back and, and be embarrassed about the way he handled that, you know, taking his medal off. Uh, and, you know, we all have our opinion how sports people behave but I always think you should always prepare what if you don't win and there's probably millions of aspiring boxers around the world watching going you've just dissed a silver medal mm. at the Olympic Games and again afterwards you're disappointed in your own performance but you got beaten on the day and maybe we shouldn't disrespect the person that, that got beat the gold. Yeah? Yeah. yeah and also every other single person that got a silver or bronze medal I know for a fact if I picked up a silver medal in the Olympic Games oh my god I'd have probably been streaking around the <laughs> Sydney Superdome you know that would have meant the news uh, but I guess it, it's success is a very individual thing mm -hmm. and uh, so I watch Max Whitlock now 
retain his gold medal at the Olympics and I have no jealousy whatsoever. I feel super proud to be able to commentate on that and I think that's makes me really successful because I can deal with it. You know, and there are other people that can't. I mean, look at the uh, England football team. They'd never got to the, the final before. They lost. Unfortunately, the better team won. And they took the medals off. Some of them didn't want to put them around the necks. You know, at the end of the day, these young people, players, are role models to lots of young people. And, you know, they often don't put themselves in a good light, footballers, anyhow. So there you have an opportunity to put yourself in a real good light and you're just like, oh, you know, you're, I almost want to shake them and go, let's do that again, lads. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's, let's have a retake. And listen, I, I'm no saint. I've done lots of stupid things in my life, lots of them when I was a kid in school. Uh, but I... I try and make amends, you know, and when I work with young people, I talk about my mistakes and I say, I've made bad decisions, but please don't make the decisions, bad mistakes I made. I'm here to tell you from myself, you know, you've got an opportunity, make the most of it. And and maybe these people will go back and go, yes, I made a bad decision. Uh, I always try and think about things that I do now and, and the staff and I, and, I, and I go listen we're not perfect and I, I'll back my staff you know 100% and we have a lot of young staff and they're learning and yes you, you get people you're not going to please everybody but as I say to them as long as you, you do your best I'm happy I'll deal with the fallout you know from that and uh, you know touch wood we, we do okay and I think if people see you doing your best then they can be a bit easier on you. I think if you've got a don't-really-care attitude and you're a bit elusive, then you open yourself up to criticism a bit. Yeah. So you've mentioned your staff. Um, I wish the uh, I wish the listeners could see the setup that you're currently <laughs> sitting in. <laughs> you've currently got like a, a, a big black sort of a sheet over you. You've created a little recording booth because you're in you're in tumble. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're on site. People might be able to hear a, a bit of background noise of, of children children playing in the background. I'm so actually you... set on sat on my treadmill as well. So <laughs> well, let's I'm... hope nobody presses start. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually sat on the treadmill. Uh, Made a bit of a tent, uh, but yeah, I, and and this goes back to I think what sports people are really good at, uh, not just myself. We we're very forward thinking and we're solution orientated. You have to be because in training life's never perfect, and I think I I, I, I really you know it does irritates me where people are always. There's a problem after problem. I go, I don't need problems. What I need is solutions. So what can we do right now to come up with a solution? And to be fair, Alex, we've done it. You know, <laughs> I thought this ain't going to work. I've got a, a mat behind me. I've got mats. I've tried to make a, a, a sound booth. Uh, yeah, so we, we've done all right, I think. We'll see. <laughs> the proof will be in the recording later. Absolutely. <laughs> so tell me about Tumble then. Um, you know, you've 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 set that up um, in North Tyneside. What motivated you to set it up? Well, I think two two reasons motivated me to set up the gym. One, I realised uh, once I had a family, I needed to have a bit more of a secure income. Uh, I don't know if that's working out as planned just yet, to be fair. <laughs> uh, and maybe it won't. Uh, but the second was, I just thought, if I don't do something around gymnastics, uh, it would be a bit of a shame. Because I've often talked uh, to young people, not just about sport, but how you can transfer these life skills into business. And I just thought, well, I've read loads of books and I've talked about it. I need to do it because we've all met loads of people who's talked a good idea. I'm going to do this and I could have done that. I should have done this. I should have done that. And I thought, right, enough's enough. And I remember one day, actually, my little boy was born. He's probably about one. I was heading off uh, to college to do a full week of talks down there 
to the students and my little lad were crying because I was leaving and I drove to the end of the road and I, and I, and I was a bit sad and I thought, I, you know, it's about choices and I, make, I need to make the change. So I thought, right, let's do it. Uh, it took about three years uh, in the, you know, conception plan, really for one, finding the right space, finding the right team. I mean, originally it was three of us, all ex-gymnasts, uh, and it's ended up with me. And that just, you know, is a, a sign of my staying power, really, because there's obstacles mm -hmm. in the way. Mm -hmm. The other two didn't think it was the right time. Uh, you know, the building we found... I could have probably done with a bigger unit, but I'm like, if I never do it now, nothing will ever be perfect. Uh, and it was a little bit more money than what I wanted to pay, but I was like, that's it, let's commit. Uh, so I applied to funding to Sport England. Uh, we got some funding. I put my life savings into it as well. We opened in January 2020. It was fantastic. It was amazing start. I could not believe how many people turned up. A bit too crazy, if I'm honest. Uh, and I remember we couldn't manage the car park. There were cars everywhere. My wife's literally laid on the bed. The little babies arrived. The phone's going. People are parking on next door's car park. And my wife's like, just go, just go, you know. And so literally she's just given birth and uh, I'm down at the gym, you know, fighting fire. You know, let's do this. Let's do that. Do it. Calm things down. Uh, again, it's about being able to handle the pressure, which, you know, sport has taught me well. Right, this is not right. What can I do? You know, too many people in the baby disco, right? Yeah, we weren't expanding. You know, we had a baby disco. It was like an illegal rave. <laughs> Apparently, there was there was like 50 kids. There were kids climbing over people. There were cars outside parking up the banking. Too many people in the class. So I had to phone people up and apologise and, and just say, look, how can we make this right? And I think if, you, if you're honest and say, look, I've made a mistake. It, we didn't expect this. What can we do? And then I sort of calmed things down, went back to my wife and, you know, that, that sort of eased itself and we put things in place after that. So that was great. And then eight weeks later, obviously, COVID. And again, you can see opportunity or you can, you know, just bury your head in the sand. And the, the eight weeks that we had was a fantastic opportunity for me to see how the business operated and how people moved around the building. So we, I, I moved things in reception, I moved things around, created a better holding space, uh, and then we opened a bit again, and then we went down into lockdown. But upstairs in the coffee shop, we had a balcony so you could watch. Parents said to us, uh, the kids can't really see, could you make a glass balcony? I went, well, I could, but I can't afford it. But what I did was I made windows for the kids to look out of. And we're a bit like, you say we do, so we, we can't do everything. But I think it's really important within any business, you listen. Uh, and because we're a small business and the directors were here, and I see myself as the person who's always about and always open. And listen, give me a criticism. Give me a feedback, you know. And talking about a drive for the centre, we do quite a bit around disability. One of our customers is a lady called Kate Stamforth who's a dancer who uh, got a serious illness while she was training at the Royal Ballet and, and now in a wheelchair. She came to the centre with a nephew and was like, oh, this is great, you've got lifts, you're accessible. People talk about accessible, but they not really are. And I said, oh, what do you do? She said, I'm a dancer. I said, oh, great, so I'm looking for a venue. And they'd normally see the wheelchair and go, ah, no chance. We applied for a grant to convert our baby room into a dance studio and we got knocked back and she was devastated. And I said, look, it's a setback. I'm used to setbacks. I'll sort it. Let's do something else. So I, I went and did my own DIY SOS. And her friend is a YouTuber, which I've never heard of. <laughs> but she gets a lot of followers. I said, look, why don't we put a, a programme together? You use your followers. And I got in touch with the builders at Court for the Job and said, you've got the job. The bad news is you're working for free. All right. I said, but it's for this amazing lady. You can't turn it down. Right. I went to doors and floors on the estate. You know, can you 
supply the flooring for free. It's for this young lady. Told about the story. Yes, you can. I got some mirrors at a discounted price. I have another business. Uh, I, I have uh, allotments and a farm school. I was like, I could do with spending a bit of money out of that. My mum's retired. I said, Mum, is there any chance you'd... Yeah. So me and my mum put in a couple of thousand. We got Kate here and said, we're going to do uh, like a crowd fundraising thing. We interviewed her downstairs and said, what sort of studio would you like? She said, well, I'd like a wooden floor and I would like mirrors, blah, blah, blah. I'd also got a graffiti artist to put this mural on the wall. And we said, right, let's go to the studio and we'll take some before and after pics. And all the builders were waiting. My mum was here. We had balloons. Opened the door and she had a dance studio. And her mum was with her and she burst into tears. And she said, and her mum said, nobody's ever done that for her before. Mm. You know, off the back of her, I met a young girl who was looking for a job, a receptionist job, and she had a really bad time. We were looking for admin. I employed a mate. She's a wheelchair user. We had a, the reception desk. It was okay, but it wasn't really wheelchair accessible. And I was with her one Saturday, uh, and she's sort of banging around behind. I'm like, this ain't good enough. So I knocked it out, and she put a post on Twitter saying, I've got the best boss ever. Knocked it out, put a desk in. We had 5 million views. It was on Look North. And I, and I said, I can't believe this has made the news. We, all we've done is made something for somebody that should be working environment that should be there already. The norm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then off the back of that, a, a guy she used to go and train with, a guy who has this business called uh, Jim Possible. He was a guy who had a diving accident uh, and broke his neck. He's, he's wheelchair bound now, and he was having trouble with his landlord. And I said, you know, we, we've got a gym here. Don't get used much, you know. I don't really want much rent, you know, just whatever you can afford. He brings people in wheelchairs into the centre and he works uh, with disabled users in the gym, which is a tent I'm currently sat under. So so I believe things happen for a reason. I met Kate through one of the customers. We've set her a, a gym studio and, and she zooms all over the world. I then met a friend who'd had a really bad time getting a job. She works on reception. And I, and I met Drew, who works with disabled people, who was going to get kicked out of his unit. We do this here. And if I hadn't set up Tumble, I wouldn't have met those people. We honestly change lives. And is that is that where you find happiness at work then, through supporting other through people that. and yeah, finding opportunities and, and things like that? And play. You know, as a, as a parent, I just love seeing families together. You know, mums and dads with the kids. I think I'm going to set up a dad's parent morning group because, you know, when I say to me, why about having kids? I'm like, it's horrendous, isn't it? You know, people come in and I'm like, oh, my God, you what? And I'm like, I'm going to be honest, it, it, it's brutal uh, being a parent. But I think I'm a, I'm a realist and I, there are good stuff, but I like to be real, realistic. And, and the parents go, yeah, people go, oh, you're so right, aren't you? And I said, these people are coming in and I've got the perfect baby that sleeps 12 hours. I'm like, you can get out now. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm like, no, no child's perfect, you know, and I've had, a, I've had a bad time and I can tell by the face, I go, you've had a tough night, haven't you? And they go, yeah, it's, it's, it's brutal. Where's the coffee? Go, yeah. Where's the coffee? Yeah, yeah, where's the coffee? <laughs> so is happiness something that you think much about, Craig? It's something that I think totally about now. And I think certainly as you get older, these things become more important. So it's it's your time. I think that makes me happy. Uh, time to do what I like, uh, which is very limited with two young children. It's about creating time for yourself as, as family, uh, making those moments as a family, being supportive to my wife so that she has time. She has very little time. But it's, it's you know, those precious moments of... 30 minutes workout in the morning at the gym with the other director we, we, we train together because and I think if you've got a, somebody you work training with you can go yeah we're going they'll force you to go as well which is important because we go right we'll go now so we try and go three times a week and it's first thing in the morning so for me I, I've, I've been up a couple of hours with the kids but yeah let's get in the gym let's work out but also we can plan the day 
So do you consider yourself to be a happy person then, Craig? I am extremely happy, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I consider myself extremely happy. Probably to the annoyance of other people. <laughs> you know, because people say to me, how can you be so happy all the time? You know, and I, I, I do everything here. It's a bit like Faulty Towers. I will check you in on reception. I will run into the gym and I'll be there in a class. I'll go upstairs and take your coffee order. I don't know how to work the till. And I'll be like this. And which button do I press? And it's... But actually, I'll be in the back cooking food. I had to get my food hygiene certificate. And and the same with Andy. It's come from banking. He's in the back turning bacon. And I'm like, we're minimum wage people now because our skill set... He's not here. And I sort of see why. If you want to change your life, uh, and I have a good friend who works in law, who's got a fantastic job, earn loads of money, who has lots of expense. So he cannot do that mm. all the time mm. because he's built himself up to a massive mortgage and outgoings. Luckily, me and my wife, we have a very low mortgage, so I can change my life. So I'm not bound by the shackles of my outgoings. Yeah, yeah. That makes me feel really free. So I'm annoyingly happy, Alex. <laughs> I'm sorry to say. We're kind of coming to the end of the interview now, Craig. And we kind of ask everybody sort of towards the end, if you have any, um, I suppose, tips, advice that you'd like to share with with our listeners you know, how do you maintain positive mental well-being? You know, you talked before about being a role model. Um, what is there anything that you can pass on to people as sort of pearls of wisdom? Well, yeah, I, I guess somebody's going to watch this and go, he surely can't be, you know, so happy all the time. And no, I, I, I've never uh, been happy all the time. Uh, I've struggled a bit with my own illness and mental health in the past. And I've had to learn to deal with that and cope. Uh, I remember uh, working, doing the European Championships, and my mum had breast cancer. I had a bit of a meltdown. And I remember, you know, looking across the table to my mum, who's got a bald head, going through chemotherapy. I'm supposed to be the strong person, and I'm crying into my dinner, thinking, how am I supposed to carry on? But I, I've wanted to improve, you know, and I've seen people, I've, and I've had therapy... I've got through it and I've learned to deal with life a little bit better. And I've realised that physical activity is so important to my mental health. Yeah. And whether it's going for a walk, whether it's going into the outdoors and, and just breathing it in and actually thinking, you know what? Life, you know, is not great for me right now, but it could always be worse. So I think let's stop worrying about the things we haven't got, materialistic things, yeah? I've got the confidence to say I'm okay mm -hmm. with who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm not Max Whitlock. I'm not an Olympic champion. I'm 32nd. But as a bloke said to me the other day, he went, yeah, but Craig, you were 32nd in 7 billion people. Mm -hmm. That's pretty impressive. That's not too bad, yeah. That's not too bad. I know that. I don't need to tell other people I've won loads of medals, but I'm ha I'm really happy with it myself. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that's really important. Change is important, and it is possible. Yeah, but people that say if you don't like your job, go into work and jack it now and and do it tomorrow. That's I see that's a nonsense. If you want change, it takes time, but you've got to decide. Yeah, choices are so important. Commitment. Commit yourself to something, but don't kid yourself it's going to be easy. Once you've gone through it and you've got it, oh, my God, does that feel good. Yeah. And that's my advice to anybody that's listening. Find out what you truly want to do. Yeah. And I think that's it. Listen to your body. Listen, if, you, if you're physically and mentally okay, that's worth a million pounds, definitely. And make changes slowly. That's it, slowly. Have a plan. Thank you, Craig. So listen to your mind, listen to your body. Thank you so much for your time today, Craig. It's been an absolute pleasure watching you uh, do this interview under a sheet. Uh, I've really enjoyed hearing about Tumble, your time 
um, at the Olympics and Commonwealth Games has been absolutely wonderful. So thank you so much. Thanks, Alex. So that was Craig. What did people think? What an amazing person. Mm. <laughs> we keep finding them, don't we? Yeah, there's a canny few of them in the northeast. Yeah. <laughs> I say person because I, I, I felt as though there were several people there who'd gone, he'd, he'd, he'd gone through quite a few iterations, as it were, but mm-hmm. and every single one, I was, I was hanging on every word, basically, <laughs> because the things... He'd gone from the gymnastics, which which is amazing, and then into the the commentating, and then the the work that he's doing now. I, I thought, does this man ever sleep? I don't <laughs> think he does. <laughs> <laughs> but in in the in the middle of all this beautiful storytelling, I mean, it, it's just fabulous storytelling. There were there was a couple of um, just phrases that that really got to me, um, particularly. He said, you'll have more energy if you're fully committed to something. Mm. And that just brought me up short. I, I thought, I'll have to go away and think about that one because it, it just socked me between the eyes. Um, and I really appreciated him saying that as if it was to me personally. So, mm. so yes. yeah. And, and the other phrase was solution-oriented training. <laughs> I'll have to work on that one, I think rather than moaning and groaning about things that are going wrong and uh, which I thought was was incredible and when he finish finishes off saying he's annoyingly happy annoyingly <laughs> which happy I, yeah which I think um, I would I wouldn't put it like that I just I just loved it it was it was such an entertaining listen yeah so yeah. good he just didn't pause for breath did he he yeah he just had so much to say and uh, yeah it was it was a great great conversation got to listen to the end yeah, yeah. Chris, what about you? Oh, I, I loved it. I mean, I, all this stuff around Olympics and Paralympics is just—I I just think it's absolutely great. I love it every time it comes around. You know, that and the Commonwealth Games. Um, Just—it's such an event, um, and to to hear somebody talking about it from the inside like that was uh, was great. Um, but also really interesting is, is talking about kind of imposter syndrome. You know, somebody at the, at the top mm-hmm. of their field. Um, you know, really sort of questioning themselves as to kind of, am I, you know, do I deserve to be in this, in this situation? And you, you can see from the outside, yeah, you absolutely do. But, you know, sort of questioning your, yourself on the inside about it. And it's always kind of worth trying to step outside of yourself. But I know that's something that I find really difficult to do. Um, we have, um, in my other job, um, uh, we talk a lot about imposter syndrome and it's kind of how we feel like we're not sort of really worth the jobs that we've got, but um you know and it has a big impact on people um so yeah nice and encouraging hearing hearing him talk about it as well also when he was talking about dealing with disappointment because i imagine you know when you're a gymnast or an athlete or something like that you know you, you have to get used to disappointment what 90 percent of the time or, yeah, or things being horrible yeah. um things not going quite the way that you want and yeah well i've got sympathy for people that you know, are disappointed that they don't quite achieve the pinnacle of what they were expecting. Um, it was nice to hear him talk about this sort of mag. What's the word? Magnanimity, grace, <laughs> being magnanimous in the face of uh, of disappointment, and you know, yeah, accepting things with a with a feeling of grace is being something at the uh, at the root of happiness as well. You know, sometimes things don't work out. So how how do you deal with that? Um, so yeah, a very a very human human scale interview, which was which was which was great. A really good listen. Thanks, Alex. You're welcome, and, and thank you, Craig. There was just so much in it, wasn't there? Um, I really um, liked what he said about him discovering gymnastics as a young boy as well, yeah. and how um, it reminded me of Billy Elliot <laughs> in a way. <laughs> yeah. that, you know, he was kind of you know um, being teased and made fun of for being different, and you know his sexuality was being questioned, and all of this, all of this stuff around why are you doing gymnastics, you know, and 
and that you should embrace being different. And I think that was a really mm. valuable message to get out to, um, to to young people and, well, anybody really, um, that it's okay to be different because um, you never know where it might lead you and what adventures you end up going on. Um, and, yeah, that imposter syndrome thing as well, you know, where he, he said, oh, somebody somebody said to me, but you finished 32nd out of however many billion, you know, that's, yeah, that's pretty yeah. good, yeah. you know, uh, that's something to be proud of. Um, and, and like you, I got completely sucked into the Tokyo games this year. I didn't think I would. Mm. Uh, I think there'd been a lot of negativity in the press, hadn't there, around whether the, whether the games should be happening at all. Um, but we were up on the Isle of Skye visiting my folks. We hadn't seen them for nearly a year. And, you know, as a family, we were just glued to the mm. TV the whole time and we, we just watched the whole thing and it was just amazing. I yeah. loved it. So uh, I think what he was saying about, I think the world needed the Olympics, mm. um, I think was very, very true. I think it's uh, yet again been a really positive Thing. And I love it that once you get through the Olympics and you're so disappointed it's over and then two weeks later, it's the Paralympics and you get to do it Yay! all over again. It's crazy. Exactly. <laughs> well done, Team GB, by the way. Yep, they've all done brilliantly, haven't yes. they? Fabulous. Could I could I ask a professional question? Ooh. Yeah, sure. Do we need to give a professional answer? <laughs> how, how did you manage the sound? Because uh, Craig mentioned I had this mental picture of him sitting on a treadmill <laughs> yeah. with a with a black curtain over his head and I, I do know we try really hard to get exceptional quality recordings so he was really good to be to play a game with that <laughs> yeah he, he did his best uh yeah the sound recording wasn't wasn't great but you know given the environment that we were in um Tumble is a huge um, industrial unit on an industrial estate. So you can imagine, you know, it's this huge space. He was in a very large space within that mm. building. Um, yeah, sitting on a treadmill. <laughs> <laughs> At least nobody pressed start. But yeah, he had a, he had sort of one of those sort of gymnastics mats behind him and then like a blanket over him. So he did sort of try and create this booth, which, which did, believe it or not, make a difference to the sound, uh, mm. the, the environment. Um, but yeah, as, as he said, he's a, he's a problem solver. He's yep. a solution, <laughs> you know, trying to find solutions to stuff. So, uh, and I, I think, I think all the listeners should be aware that we've all gone through that. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So our setup changes from day to day. <laughs> it's, it's evolved. Hasn't it? We're, we, we're all we've still been there learning. with you, Craig. <laughs> yeah. I do have a screenshot of the uh, recording session, so maybe we'll uh, add that to the, oh, the socials so people can see. But anyway, uh, thank you, Craig, and thank you, Chris and Kath, for your thoughts on that interview. If you've been inspired by this podcast episode, then we would love to hear from you. We love hearing your stories and opinions on what happiness means to you. You can get in touch via email, hello at thenorthernguidetohappiness.co.uk or you can find us on Twitter at North Happiness and Instagram and Facebook at Northern Happiness. We're really glad to be spreading joy and happiness around the North East through this podcast, thanks to funding from the National Lottery Community Fund and the Newcastle Covid Fund. So thank you so much to our funders for their support. So we've reached the end of another episode. We hope you're enjoying listening to the Northern Guides to Happiness. Take care and see you all again next week for another episode. <laughs> <laughs>